Welcome to the Street Untold. <laughs> okay. Hi, welcome to Sistery Untold. We are your sisters and hosts, Marva and Sabrina. And in this podcast, we look at history through the eyes of sisterhood. So welcome. This is welcome. episode four. three, like not including the mini mm-hmm. like a full mm-hmm. episode. This is episode three, week two, because we gave you loads of bonus extra content on week one to make <laughs> sure that you actually liked us and would come back again. <laughs> Yeah. So hopefully you did. We and... just want to be liked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need all positive affirmation. I don't mm-hmm. have enough self-confidence. Not at to... all. <laughs> <laughs> to be doing this for myself. <laughs> um, um, but yeah. Anyways, enough about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, welcome um, back, listeners. We're so glad that you're here for week two. I feel like this feels more like real now because I feel like the launch day was just like a dump of episodes and now it's like we're in it like every week it's like yeah a thing. it's a real thing yeah we have to like research every week <laughs> I, I feel like was something that I like considered but didn't really like in reality put that together in my yeah. like, day-to-day life um, I just imagined myself like every two weeks suddenly having loads more knowledge than I had like before yeah but it's actually like me reading until midnight multiple nights trying to like get a handle on topics but yeah and then trying to make sure that I'm not actually just making stuff up because I feel like sometimes I'm like oh yeah and then I bet this would happen but it's like did that happen yeah like yeah but honestly that's what history is like when I'm reading these sources I'm like this I is also not what history is. Not literally, but there's a lot of speculation. <laughs> I feel like at least this is a podcast where we have today. a very loose definition of history. Okay, I never yeah. said I was a historian, <laughs> and I will take that to court. Okay, no one can tell me that I ever claimed to be a historian. Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners from the first week and just the outpouring of support we got on social media is so exciting so we'll take more of it so, so we'll yeah. um my self-worth you know, keep, is defined by followers keep it going only. keep so, it going yeah <laughs> keep it going don't slow down <laughs> yeah um and yeah and then please also if you enjoyed the first couple episodes and then if you maybe listen to this one and you're like wow I still like this I don't hate them um please share us like with your friends and family um, because that way we'll get more support and more affirmation and we'll feel better about ourselves. I'll be able to sleep at night finally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And hopefully they will get in return a good podcast that they enjoy and get to learn some new things about crazy, um, interesting and fun and I don't know, important women. Um, Yes. Yeah, so please do. Um, and also subscribe on wherever you're listening to this podcast right now um, so that you can stay up to date with our new episodes and listen to them whenever they come out. They'll be out every Tuesday. So definitely do that. Yeah. 
and check out our website, which is sisteryuntold.com. And that's where we're going to post pictures after today's episode of all of the fun things that we talk about. Um, and then on the Instagram that we're asking you to give us lots of nice <laughs> feedback. Um, and that is just at Sistery Untold. As well as Twitter. You can give us nice compliments on Twitter as well, which is also at Sistery Untold. It's a very good thing that we have, like, a name that we just made up. So yes. <laughs> nobody has this Twitter <laughs> handle oh. in it. Yeah. Yeah. And we also, yeah. if you want to keep it a little old school, you can drop us an email at sisteryuntold at gmail.com. If you have any episode ideas or follow-ups from this episode or just questions about us or just want to give us attention and love, we want it all. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, Sabrina, it's your week. It you is. want to tell us what the topic is? Yes. So, today we will be talking about Mary Shelley and Claire Claremont. Um, are you familiar with either or both of those women, Marva? Um, I'm familiar with Mary Shelley because she wrote Frankenstein. Did she know? Yeah. Yes. I, I also keep thinking of her name as being Marie Shelley, which I don't know if it makes a difference. There's Marie Curie, kind of I feel like, is who you're does. thinking of. Okay. Maybe. Um, Mary Marie. Um, and then Claire Claremont. Yes. No. I don't know her. Exactly. So that's why we're talking about <laughs> her. Because, well, I'll get into it in a minute. We'll get into everything in many minutes. So, <laughs> that is the point of this podcast. Yes. No, we just say two names and then end the podcast <laughs> and never speak to you. Yeah. Okay. We're just here to talk about ourselves. Yeah. Um. Back to the point. Uh, Marvin, yeah. you're looking radiant. <laughs> oh, thank you. I haven't showered in days. Oh, fabulous. Um. <laughs> um. But yes, so before we quote unquote dive in, that's a quote from us because we always yeah. dive in. <laughs> We're before so we, quotable. Yes. Um, before we dive into the story of Mary Shelley and Claire Claremont, I want to tell you guys about my references um, because Marvin did that last time and I thought it was brilliant. But I use a lot of references. I'm not going to say everyone because I just have trust issues. So I like read everything 17 times before I like actually put it in my podcast. But these were some of the favorite references I saw. And I encourage you to check these sources out as well. So Romantic Circles, um, which is a website, Brandeis University, The Guardian, New York, Pu New York Public Library, Jane Lark blog, which Jane Lark, whoever you are, I will find you and talk to you because your blog was so amazing. <laughs> I'm not trying to be creepy, Jane Lark. <laughs> I'm a fan. It just gets creepier the more you go on. So I Sorry. think we should move on. Okay. And the last one is history.com, the ever reliable history.com. So yeah, those are just some of the most important resources that I used for this podcast. So definitely check those out. And without further ado, let's, I'm not even going to say it. You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> let's dive on in. <laughs> yes. So I'm actually super duper excited to do today's episode because it takes place during my favorite time period, which is 18th century, the long 18th century, sorry. And this period spans roughly from 1700 to 1830. 
but that's a pretty controversial statement. So if you're like a literary person or an English professor or anything, don't come at me, but that's how I define it. <laughs> but again, just making up definition. Here we go. <laughs> a lot of people agree with this definition, but it has just shifted a lot over time. And it was mm-hmm. at one point called the romantic period and like some, yeah, it just it's, has different starts and end dates, but whatever. Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, like I said, the um, this period includes the Romantic period, which is the latter part of this period, and the earlier part is the Enlightenment period. And this particular episode includes some key players from the Romantic period who you'll probably recognize from your high school English class. So feel free to pat yourself on your back whenever you see a name you recognize, hear a name you recognize. Um, And it's difficult to place a start on this story exactly. I mean, we could start with their birth dates, but I kind of want to just jump back and forth a little bit because I want to start off with this major catastrophic event that happened in 1815. Mm. Yeah. So in 1815, a volcano in Mount Tambora in Indonesia erupted. Super random. It okay, seems. this is not where I thought we were going <laughs> to begin, but okay. <laughs> Just stay with me. So <laughs> this, yeah, erupted. It killed roughly 100,000 people immediately. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Volcanoes then, are no joke. Yeah. Well, this is considered the deadliest volcano eruption in history for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. Many people died in the aftermath. And obviously, <laughs> Indonesia is not the focus of this podcast, <laughs> So Mm -hmm. the reason I wanted to bring it up is because the following summer in 1816, Europe was covered in fog and frost because of the effects of this eruption. It affected like the world for three years globally. There were crop failures Mm -hmm. in Asia, Europe and North America, and it led to famine and political unrest. And I'm sure or I think Marvel probably knows. I didn't know this. But the Napoleonic Wars were 1803 to 1815. So it was already like a super bad time in the world. And then there's like this eruption of a volcano that like made the world worse. So mm-hmm. yeah, major 2020 vibes, honestly. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, so now as we've established, this eruption happened during the Romantic era. And if the Romantics loved anything, they loved a good tragedy. So they channeled mm-hmm. all this pain that the world was feeling globally into dark, great works of art and literature. And among those inspired was Mary Shelley. So many of us, like Marva and me, and probably all of you, (laughs) know that Mary Shelley was the creator of Frankenstein and the mother of the science fiction genre. And I knew this. So Frankenstein, was Frankenstein the first science fiction book? It was, yeah. Hmm. It's considered that, at least. And keep in mind, the novel is like a really new form of literature in this time period. So that's part of why. But I don't know. How is it a new form of literature? Novels didn't really exist until like, I would say, very late 17th century or 18th century. 17th century. It's like 1600s. Okay, okay. So it, like, existed, but it was still, like, Mm -hmm. relatively new compared to, like, Uh all of the rest of literature, which was just poems and essays and plays. Mm -hmm. But so what, when you had a book, what was inside of it? (laughs) Like, what do you mean? In your house? 
like, like just in your yeah, library like if, you like if you were in the 1600s and you're like i'm gonna read a book well what, first you of all not that up and what would be literate inside. but there, mm-hmm. there's bibles you know, um, mm. and like people would read sermons and essays and poetry and like epic poems. Like um, mm. Milton wrote Paradise Lost in 16th or 17th century. Um, mm. And that was like a major thing people read. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until like there was like some novellas in the 17th century, late 17th century. Um, and then most people, I would say, consider like the novel really came into like normal life in the 18th century mm-hmm. and that that made for like really exciting times because like a lot more women were writing it was like a more feminine mode of writing um mm-hmm. yeah but yeah so that's that um okay. <laughs> brief history of books yes <laughs> um so I knew about Mary Shelley being the quote-unquote mother of science fiction because I watched this documentary like a million years ago with our parents. I think it was on the sci-fi channel about like the birth of science fiction. And Mm -hmm. I knew that the story of how she came up with this novel was when she was in Geneva with her husband, who was a really famous celeb poet of the time, Percy Shelley. And their close friend was another poet, Lord Byron. Lord Byron's life is super wild. I really recommend you listen to this podcast um, on Stuff You Miss in History class about Lord Byron. He's mm-hmm. like, he's super mean and like weird and like crazy. So yeah, but he's a man. So he doesn't have a place in our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, so while they were in Geneva, the group passed their time reading poems and arguing and telling stories like ghost stories and stuff. Um, And one of the arguments they had was about whether or not you could reanimate a corpse after death, because as some more 18th century background, um, this like process, not process, practice of galvanism is what it was called, um, Mm -hmm. was really common in the 18th century. And that's when you would jolt a corpse like a dead animal or even a dead human with electricity. And when it like, like jerked they would say that that was the release of like mysterious life forces that were facilitated by the electricity that you put into their body this was a real thing that they did or yeah a thing real that thing. they did in their books no real thing this was like a, a scientific like trend at the time that they would electrocute corpses. like dead things yeah and like they would do it in like these like rooms with like a bunch of people like arena not arena <laughs> but like you know like a whatever you call that <laughs> stadium the staple <laughs> yeah. center <laughs> Yeah, we rented out the Staples Stadium to, like, put electricity (laughs) in dead frogs. Everybody, come here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that, basically. Um, What are those things called? Like, auditorium? I don't know, whatever. Um, So, yeah, that was, like, a whole thing. So, they were talking about that. And so, that type of conversation combined with the nightly, like, scary stories. They would tell each other. They were saying, like, ghost stories and stuff. That led Mary Shelley to write Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus, which we just now know as Frankenstein. And so that's the story I knew about how she wrote the story. I thought she was with these two amazing men and they just came up with a story. But as I thought about episodes from this period I could do, I had like the kind of faint recollection that there was another woman there too. And I didn't really know Mm -hmm. who it was or anything about her. So Mm -hmm. I looked it up and I found out that with Mary at this um chalet in geneva that summer 
there was another woman who was called Claire Claremont. And the best part of Claire and Mary's relationship is that they were actually sisters. They were stepsisters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I was just, like, shocked. I didn't know who she was. I don't know if I'm just extraordinarily ignorant and really everyone knows about her. Um, but I was just shocked that I, someone who, like, studies this period, um, didn't know about this, like, really important figure who was there at a critical moment in Mary's career. Mm-hmm. So with that, that's just like a little, really not little <laughs> introduction. <laughs> and now I'm going to go back in time and start off with their like early, early life. Then we'll go come back to their trip to G- Geneva and then just get a glimpse at how they lived out the rest of their lives. All right. Okay. Um, so yeah, Ma- Mary was born to Mary Wollstonecraft and William Godwin and her parents were both really radical intellectuals and her mother's reputation probably outshines her father's reputation for many people nowadays because she was a proto-feminist who wrote this important text called the vindication of the rights of women and that was just like super like important later on for feminist work and I definitely Mm -hmm. want to do an episode about her and another woman at some point but I won't tell you who because it'll be a secret top secret <laughs> maybe I'll steal the episode idea and then mm-hmm. I'll do it for myself mm-hmm. <laughs> um her father William Godwin was a journalist political philosopher and a novelist and he's considered one of the first like proponents of utilitarianism and anarchism so he was like pretty radical this couple was literally like a 1970s like hippie couple but just like in the 1790s Mm -hmm. um so yeah he really really loved his wife and she died like 10 days after her daughter was born there's yeah I know she died some people said it was from childbirth but she died of like a fever or something but I think it was like that she got during childbirth I don't know people are Um, dying in childbirth back in the day like no crazy yeah. yeah we're gonna have a lot of childbirth drama in this episode okay. it's gonna be really sad um but yeah I'll also warn you there's a lot of a lot of Marys and a lot of Williams I'm just like these people are not creative at all like you mm-hmm. just do the same three names all the time okay well now you can't get mad at me after my last episode I with know, all the I Matildas know. and Henry <laughs> Matilda's mom Matilda her mom Matilda her daughter Matilda her sister Matilda I'm like ah! <laughs> yeah anyway so the way William grieved his wife's death was by writing memoirs this book called memoirs of the author of a vindication of the rights of women and that was like a really sweet way to commemorate her and he also gave um Mary Wollstonecraft's daughter, Fanny, who was an illegitimate daughter, um, his last name. And Mary and Fanny were half-sisters, which I would love to dive... Yeah, I'd love to dive deeper into Mary and Fanny's story because Fanny had, like, a really... Ended up having a really tragic life. But this episode was already so much with just Mary and Claire. So Mm. we'll save Fanny for later. (laughs) Okay, bonus episode about Fanny. Yeah, (laughs) the other forgotten sister. (laughs) extra forgotten (laughs) um but yeah so as you might have guessed from his political views and his wife's political views William was super super woke 
he had studied really progressive educational authorities like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and also has learned from his wife's child raising with Fanny to just kind of be really encouraging of young girls and their education, which that's going to be super important in a minute. And unfortunately, he wasn't like the perfect father. He really favored Mary over Fanny. I'm assuming mm-hmm. in part because it was her, his biological daughter. But what I read was that it was because of her sensitive and spirited personality. And he would always call Mary his pretty little Mary and just generally thought her superior to Fanny. Mm-hmm. But when they were little, they're like really when Mary was really little, like under age four, um, he would take them on all of these like excursions to places like Alexander Pope's Grotto and Alexander Pope is like one of my favorite poets from the earlier part of this period Um, and they would watch theatrical pantomimes and have dinners with these famous writers like Charles and Mary Lamb so they had like a really just like richly like intellectual early life Mm -hmm. Um, and this is the period when Mary's adoration of her father started to grow Um, And she would just love him a lot for the rest of her life. They did end up having some conflicts, but they were really close. And this basically this period of like intellectual bliss kind of ended when William remarried or not ended, but had a bump in the road when William remarried in 1801 to Mary Jane Claremont and Mary Jane. She's an interesting case. So (laughs) she claimed to be a widow and the mother of two children. There's a six-year-old she boy named Charles. She claimed to be a widow? Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and a four-year-old daughter named Jane, who is later known as Claire. But up until around 1816, we'll call her Jane, because that's the no, name she wants. No, we should just call little. her Claire the whole time, because otherwise it's going to be super confusing. But they didn't know her as... Claire. I know they didn't know her as Claire, but it will be extremely confusing. Okay, if... okay, fine. I'll call her Claire. Um, so Claire, who was Jane, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> so Mary Jane, another Mary, was the mom, and she was an educated woman. She was fluent in French and English, and William thought she would be a great mother figure to his daughters. Um, and she told William, this is like her backstory that everyone in her lifetime would have known about her. She told him that she was the illegitimate daughter of a noble Huguenot um, who immigrated from immigrated to Geneva, but that she was born in England. And Wait, that she... all these people live in Geneva? No, no, no. She claimed that her parents were immigrants to Geneva, but then I guess came back to England to have okay. her. Uh-huh. Yeah. But then when she was 11... She moved to the continent to find, like, the rest of her family, and she was educated as a gentlewoman. Mm -hmm. And then she fled to her brother in Spain when there was some war in whatever country she claimed to be living in, Mm -hmm. um, which I tried to find more out about that, but there's just not a lot of information about her life because it was a lie (laughs) anyway, so, Uh Uh, and... Yeah, so then she claimed that she returned from Spain to England with her children's father, Charles Abram Marc Gali, who was a merchant and member of a prominent Swiss family. Mm-hmm. And then living in Bristol, she gave birth to her two children, Charles and Claire. 
and then later told her children that her father their father died in 1798 of cholera Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to know how much of this was true since mary jane claremont was really either mary jane vile or mary jane duvrois i saw two different most of them say mary jane vile but i did see like her name maybe as mary jane duvrois but she lies a lot this girl so but surely if your last name was vile you would change it (laughs) Like V-I-A-L, not V-I-L-E. It really doesn't matter how you spell it. (laughs) Hi, I'm Mrs. Vile. Yeah. Um, But so basically these letters came out, the Lethbridge letters, which you can all find online and I'll link them in our website. They are letters between Mary Jane and her baby daddy (laughs) and like some of her friends. And so... Apparently, Jane's, or no, Claire, we'll call her Claire. Claire's father was actually John Lethbridge, not this Charles Abram Markowy. And Mary Jane was rescued from her life of debt and poverty by the patronage of an unknown benefactor, which is unknown, so I don't know who it was. Um, and, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes. So, Mary Jane, she's actually Miss Vile. And yes. she's married to a man who is not the man that she said, or they're she's not, not married. married to anyone. Oh, she's not married, but she has children with this man, John Lethbridge. At least John. Jane, Lethbridge. At least, at least her daughter is from John Lethbridge. We don't mm-hmm. really know. I don't really know. At least who Charles's father is. Mm-hmm. And they're very poor. And then some random strange benefactor mm-hmm. just is like, "Listen, I got you." Yeah, they just give her money so that she can get support for her son, who I guess was at the age of, like, going to school by this point. Mm-hmm. So they gave her money for her son and then also helped her secure a, like, quote-unquote respectable situation in London, which probably meant some type of literary job. So I guess she mm-hmm. was just super poor and destitute. And then someone, like, helped her. Because she was really smart. Like, she's uh-huh. super smart and, like, bilingual and, like... yeah if she can like seem like she was raised as a gentlewoman like she probably is like <laughs> kind of uh-huh. like was so basically she's but... like she's living the dream i know yeah this is my dream honestly i'm like <laughs> where is my anonymous benefactor with my text <laughs> in the mail being like find yourself a respectable situation in london I'm like all right <laughs> i'm on the next plane <laughs> i'm halfway there i'm in london i just need the respectable <laughs> situation i know yeah oh my gosh but yeah, so that's the backstory with Mary Jane. So we can get back to the story at hand, which is about the sisters. So now the sisters are together. They're around the same age. Um, Claire is just four months younger than Mary. Mm-hmm. So Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, she had a really strained relationship with her stepmother because her stepmother resented her daughter's really close relationship with her father. And she actually ended up like, actively hurting their relationship trying to like limit her access to William Mm -hmm. and she would like open Mary's letters as like just to violate her privacy and like she would make her do household chores which is like really not nice I guess (laughs) um (laughs) I'm like that's kind of basic parenting but whatever I think there was also just like a disconnect because Mary Jane maybe comes from like a more traditional background and Mary Wollstonecraft and William Godwin had this, like, really, like, radical, like, modern approach, progressive approach to parenting. Mm-hmm. So it didn't totally work out. And then just, like, 
got um, William kind of prioritized Mary over Fanny. Mary Jane really gave her biological children like more special treatment over mm-hmm. um, Mary. So Fanny is really at the bottom of the totem pole because neither <laughs> parent likes her that much. Oh, and she's not Fanny. like biologically related to any of them. <laughs> but um, it's really nice. They like love her, I think. But yeah. So it doesn't sound like it. I mean, like she's there. <laughs> like they adopted her. Um, oh my gosh. But yeah. So Mary sent Claire to boarding school to learn French. And we'll see later in life that that's super important for her. And I think just, I just want to make a point about early education for women at this time as really Mm -hmm. being like the defining factor in future success. Because, I mean, we see this now too, like on commercials where they're like, preschool makes you like go to college or something, like, Mm -hmm. well, whatever. Um, But it's like super true at this time because the women who ended up being really successful, what I've noticed is a lot of them had parents who like encouraged them to have like an Mm -hmm. education that most women were not allowed to have. And so that's super important. And both of these girls had that just in really different ways. So while Claire is at boarding school, Mary didn't actually receive a formal education, but she received like a much more like unique and formative education, I think, because her father instructed her and he told her that like the best way to learn is just to read two to three books simultaneously all the time, which like Mm -hmm. I can never do that. I can barely read one book. And he also, since she was living at home, she got to meet all of her father's friends, like William Wordsworth, Charles Lamb, Samuel Coleridge, and William Hazlitt, who are just, like, celebs, like, absolute celebs of the time. Like, I was trying to think of someone who that's like, and I guess it's, like, J.K. Rowling status, probably. Mm -hmm. Like, you you just had her over for dinner, and, like, she, like, did readings of, like, her books for you just casually. Mm -hmm. So it's like that. Um, and then she would like eavesdrop on their political and scientific and literary conversations. So that exposure was like really important. And there's this really cute and like, honestly, kind of like defining moment um, in August of 1806, when Mary and Claire were hitting, hiding underneath a parlor sofa, sofa, listening to Coleridge as he recited his poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And Mary later incorporated that poem into Frankenstein. So, like, Mm -hmm. this, like, moment of her, like, meeting this, this, like, super major poet. He's, like, Coleridge and Wordsworth are part of this, like, earlier phase of romantics. um, Mm -hmm. Like, the earlier generation. And just, like, super critical figures. And so she got to, like, hear that. And, like, it was super cute. And I just thought it was interesting. Mm -hmm. So Mary's mother also inadvertently helped launch her daughter's her stepdaughter's literary career um, because when she was young, Mary's favorite pastime was to write stories. And it just so happened that Mary Jane, before she had lived with the family, had worked in children's book publishing. But I'm not sure if this part was true or part of her fabricated past. Um, But that led her to encourage her husband to write some children's stories and eventually to found and establish this juvenile library that would be a source of income for their family for years to come. And this book publishing, bookshop and publishing company published um, Mary's first work in 1808. So her stepmother founding that library actually like really helped her. Mm -hmm. Um, 
As Mary got older, the tension between her stepmother and her grew um, because Mary kind of viewed Mary Jane as the opposite of everything that her beloved mother, Mary Wollstonecraft, was, even though she didn't really know her mother, her reputation was so great. Young she Mary just, didn't yeah. like older Mary. Okay. Yeah. Mary Jane is the older Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, so because... Wollstonecraft was really like free thinking and intellectual and Mary Jane was a lot more conservative and just traditional. Um, but um, I thought that Mary's Mary's mom died when she was a baby. So how does she even know what she was? Yeah, doing? that's what I was saying. She didn't know her, mm-hmm. but her reputation was like so great that she like knew about mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. a lot because people always talk about her. Mm-hmm. In the summer of 1812, Mary finally got a break from her evil stepmother when she went to visit her father's friend in Dundee, Scotland. Um, Her father's friend's name was William Baxter. And in the Baxter household, Mary experienced like happiness and closeness with others that was really rare in her own family because of this divide with Mm -hmm. um, the Claremonts and the Godwins. And she quickly formed a friendship with William's daughters, Isabel and Christina. And this close-knit family kind of served as a model for domestic harmony that she used in later works of her fiction. And the the landscape of this area, Dundee, that she was in, was like the kind of the backdrop for her 1819 novella, Matilda. Matilda. So it was like a really important phase in her life. Um And then Mary's return to London later that year in November, that kind of marks for me, at least just like a divide between her childhood and the like capital R romantic adulthood for both Claire and Mary. And how old are they at this point? Like 15. Okay. So this is when Mary first met her father's new disciple or like fan Percy Bysshe Shelley um, and his wife Harriet Westbrook Shelley so Percy came from money he went to Eton which is still a really bougie school in England and then Oxford from which he was expelled because he wrote um, like I thought he was expelled because he wrote this pamphlet on atheism but it's actually because he didn't own up to writing the pamphlet. It was not like the act of writing the pamphlet. It was like Mm -hmm. denying that he wrote it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just a fun fact. Um, And then Shelley, I think he was only like 19 at the time, but he was already the successful author of two Gothic novels. And he was drawn towards Godwin, William Godwin, for his utilitarian views, which he shared. And he was also an anarchist and a supporter of women's liberties, including free love and instigating affairs. So he really thought that women (laughs) should just, like, take shoot their shot, kind of. What? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's also considering he's married and we know that he's going to get married to what's-her-face, then. Well, well, well. Yeah, the pieces start to come together. (laughs) So... Um, that's why he was like really drawn to the Wollstonecraft Godwin family because they really shared all these same values as him and he would have grown up like knowing about Mary Wollstonecraft um, 
because she was super famous. Mm-hmm. And he, like William, like I said, they both had this utilitarian philosophy, which encourages you to, like, if you have any money, like, give all the money you can until, like, it starts to hurt you, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, like, as a result, he started supporting William Godwin financially because even though they had this bookstore, they were not, like, super rich. So the next time, so that was in 1812, and Mary met Percy for the next time in 1814, and by now she kind of viewed him as, like, the generous benefactor to her family, and also she knew that he was, like, a genius and, like, successful, so she kind of had a crush on him, Mm -hmm. and she, like, Percy kind of reciprocated her affections because she was, like, beautiful and really smart. And also just because she was the daughter of his two favorite writers and philosophers. And how old is Percy? Do we know? He's, like, 19. Okay. Well, now he would be, like, 21 and she'd be 17, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so, in this was in May, 1814. So the next, th- throughout the next month, um, Percy dined with the Godwins pretty much every night, and he and Mary would go on daily walks, and Claire would chaperone them. And he's and still I thought married was... at this point, or yeah, okay. yeah. Um, I thought it was really weird that they would often visit her mother's grave, like on their dates, <laughs> because <laughs> he was like so obsessed. They were both obsessed with her mom. Mm-hmm. And then on June 26th of 1814, they declared their love for each other. And where's his they're, wife? They're still married. I know, but what is she doing all this time? I don't know. Um, so once William, who's Mary's father, found out about the affair, he forbade Percy from coming over anymore, but he still accepted their money. So it was kind <laughs> of like not really like, like sticking it to him that much, like taking uh-huh. a strong stance. Um, and for a while, Mary obeyed her father. Like I said, like she really loved her father, but then Percy attempted suicide and she attempted, she, she interpreted, interpreted this as a testament to the strength of their love. So in 1814, um, July 28th, 1814, she fled with him to France. So she really only tried for like a month, like not to see him. (laughs) This Um, is a whole lot. Yeah, this story is only going to get more dramatic. Um, And they also took Claire with them. So for the next two and a half years, William Godwin refused any communication with his daughter. And I'm sure that was really hard on Mary. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Probably was hard on Percy's wife as well. But, you know. Yeah. Um, Claire's mother pursued them, but she couldn't convince Claire to come back with her. And so... The three traveled together in, like I said, this is like around the Napoleonic Wars. So the continent was really like war torn. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like the worst trip ever because there's like food shortages and accommodation shortages. And like they mm-hmm. walk through burned villages, like oh literally in their journals, they write about villages being burned to the ground. But like I said, these like romantics, capital R romantics, they love it. Like, so they just like took it all mm-hmm. in and were like reading and writing the whole time. And um, by the time they got back to England, six weeks later, Mary was pregnant with a daughter. Okay. It sounds very like, you know, when you're like 14 and you're like writing in your diary and you're like, everything's awful and like, I just can't go on. And like, 
but then they're like adults. No, this is literally the whole romantic period. That's what I'm saying. They just love drama and tragedy. And, Mm -hmm. like, like Jane literally changed her name to just sound more romantic. Like, she changed her name Mm -hmm. three times, just trying Mm -hmm. to be, like, as romantic as possible. Mm -hmm. And I guess Mm -hmm. Claire was the most romantic. So they just, like, are pursuing this, like, aesthetic. Yeah. Um, But so also it sounds like Claire and Mary, they, like, must have been, like, pretty close if, like... Claire's gonna run off with yeah they are really close it's a really interesting relationship um they actually live together for the next six years the three of them um but yeah so but first before we get to that um Mm -hmm. just to mention that the baby she had in um early 1815 was born prematurely and died after two months Mm -hmm. so yeah, that was Mary's first child. And now this is when we enter this period of them living together for the next six years. Um, and during this time is when Jane changes her name from Jane to Clara to Claire, spelled C-L-A-R-E, and then finally mm-hmm. Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and she, like, settles on that. And then this this whole situation, like, living with Claire and also, like, losing her baby made Mary really unhappy because she kind of wanted to be like a traditional family mm-hmm. but also like she wasn't married to Percy because he still had a wife and it was mm-hmm. just like not what she wanted her life to be like um, mm-hmm. and then to make matters worse you remember Percy's philosophy of free love yeah um, he applies this to his own relationships with um, Mary and Claire and kind of encouraged Claire's affections because I guess Claire also had a like a crush uh-huh. on him oh my but gosh. yeah we don't it's un I can't take unconfirmed this. whatever happened between them um, but like certain notes in her journals like indicate that their affection went both ways um, certain poems that he writes indicates that he had feelings for her uh-huh. um and then we'll get to, like, a really clear example of this later, but... Well, no wonder Mary's unhappy. <laughs> I know. And, okay, Not to mention wor- her baby just died, but I then know. also... And then her lover is gonna, like, turn it on her sister. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Yeah. She stuck with Fanny. Fanny would never do this. I thing. know. I know. Poor Fanny. Where's Fanny? <laughs> Fanny! <laughs> um, but, so, the thing is, like... Um, Percy's not a hypocrite like he also kind of encouraged Mary to hook up with their friend Thomas Hogg who Mm. came to visit in 1815 which again like this is the worst year ever like she just lost her first baby and like it's not speaking to her father who she loves like Mm -hmm. and he's just like hook up with her friend Thomas who loves you and she's like I don't really like him (laughs) Um, (laughs) she's like that doesn't actually solve any of the problems that I have right now yeah and then Thomas even would jokingly refer to Mary and Claire as Percy's two wives. But oh my gosh. That's technically a joke. <laughs> Just saying. Hilarious. Um, I'm yeah. sure that Harriet finds it extremely funny. Yeah, I know. She's like, he has three wives, <laughs> mind you. Um, and okay, now we're getting to another turning point. This time it's Claire's turn. So Again, this is where I talk about, this is what I mean by, like, the historians are speculating. So they think mm-hmm. that, like, Claire was just, like, fed up with being, like, 
the third wheel and like um, being like not as like smart or interesting as Mary. Um, so she went off to have her own affair with Lord Byron. And I really liked the way she did this. She wrote to him every day mm-hmm. and just seduced him with her intellect. <laughs> and um, yeah, so they just ended up like having an affair. Um, and it, this was in England. They're still in England. Mm-hmm. But then Byron left for the continent in 1816. And whether or not she knew at the time, we don't know. But Claire was pregnant with Byron's baby. Okay. Yes. And then, and so this brings us back to the climax of the story. And we're about to go to Geneva. But also one other thing, I didn't really know where to fit this in. But in January this year, Mary had a baby boy, William. So she has a son, mm-hmm. which he's alive for a while. Um, for a while. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's true. So now it's 1816, the year without summer after this Indonesian mm-hmm. volcano erupted. And Claire convinces Mer- Mary and Percy to come with her to Geneva to stay with Lord Byron. I kind of think she probably knows that she's pregnant and that's why she wants to see Byron. Um, mm-hmm. But whatever. He doesn't know. Byron definitely doesn't know when he invites her to come stay but with him. But she's pregnant. Yeah. And so by the time that Claire arrived, though, it was obvious she was pregnant. She had a baby uh-huh. in her stomach. And yeah. Because yeah. it would also so take was... a lot of time exactly. to get to Geneva from yeah. England at that time. Yeah. Um, and there was another person Byron was staying with. He was staying with his physician, John Polidori. I don't know why his doctor was, like, living with him, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of interesting relationships here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and... So at first, Byron Byron was really rude to Claire, but then eventually he started hooking up with her again because they're just trapped in this house. There's no Mm -hmm. summer. It's like bad weather every day. Um, This letter, I got so mad when I read it. So, or not this one. There's another one. He has two letters that were really mean. So in his letter to his sister, Augusta, Byron Mm -hmm. wrote, what could I, yeah, what could I do? And this is about Claire. He wrote, what could I do? A foolish girl, in spite of all I could say or do, would come to me, or rather went before me, for I found her here. And I could not exactly play the stoic with a woman who had scrambled 800 miles to unphilosophize me. So basically he's saying, like, he couldn't help himself. She just showed up here, so I had to. But he told her to come. He invited her. Yeah, so it's really weird. So she didn't just appear out of nowhere. Yeah, and he also but really doesn't like he doesn't like Claire at all. Like, well, he better it's really start liking her. She's about to be the mother of his child. I know you would hope that I would convince him. Um, oh so aside from that drama, the group was also trapped inside because there's bad weather, storms all the time, and this is when they have the horror stories and all that. And Mary Shelley writes Frankenstein, and then after this, like really capital R romantic stay in Geneva anytime I say romantic I don't mean like oh so sweet I literally mean like gothic and emotional and like (laughs) poetic um yeah this yeah 14 year old diary entry romantic yeah exactly so yeah after this is when things really start going downhill for a whole crew and just keep going downhill for like five years okay 1817 um, in January, 
the same month that Claire gives birth, Byron wrote, I never loved her, nor pretended to love her, but a man is a man. And if a girl of 18 comes prancing to you at all hours of the night, there is but one way. The sweet of all of this is that she is with child and returned to England to assist in peopling the desolate island. I mean, he has a way with words, but it's so rude. (laughs) Yeah, and also, if a girl of 18 comes to you, there are many things that you can do. Yeah, you can talk. Maybe, like, say hello. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Maybe be like, listen, I think you're really sweet, but I'm just not that interested. Yeah. And she'll be upset for a little bit, but she'll get over it. You don't just get her pregnant I know. and be like, well, what now? Yeah, I know. Gosh. So in December, the month before Claire has her baby, Percy and Mary finally get married for real. So that's exciting. Um, and yeah, in January. Did Claire- he ever actually get divorced? Um... I think so, but because we'll come back not, to Harry. No, they did not second. really get married. Okay. I mean, it doesn't really matter because Harriet committed suicide like a couple months later, like four months later. Um, she was also pregnant with an illegitimate child and then she killed herself. Oh my God. So sad. Poor Harriet. I know. And our girl Fanny, same year, commits suicide. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was that a rough was by year. suicide. Hmm? dies by suicide yes she died by suicide um you're not supposed to say commit suicide you say dies by suicide okay you didn't know that so it's politically correct okay but that's how she died um and this happened while yeah like while mary and claire were in bath like having baby um Mm -hmm. and then Mary had her next baby in 1817, and she named her Clara after Claire. Mm-hmm. And she so, should have named her Fanny. You know, right? What about <laughs> your other sister? Um, so Claire, not to be confused with baby Clara, also threatened to commit suicide, to die by suicide in letters to Byron after the birth of their daughter. And eventually she, Percy, and Mary all went to Italy to see him. And he agreed to take an Allegra, but basically said he wouldn't, he never wanted to see Claire. And, like, he would only see Claire. Allegra is their daughter? Their daughter, yeah. Okay. He would only see Claire if, like, she came with the Shelleys. And the whole Shelley clan had to come. Like, their kids, too. It was really weird organization. It's like, very specific. Yeah, rules. Um. And so in 1818, there's like a little shimmer of hope because Mary publishes Frankenstein. And Mm -hmm. I actually think this is so great because both Byron and Percy's um, publishers turned down her book. So she had to find her own publisher. And I like that she didn't like just use their clout to like get Mm -hmm. her book published. She just did it on her own. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's super cool. And then towards the end of 18. 18 mary faced yet another tragedy when her daughter clara died of dysentery and she died after a trip to visit byron because they had to like all go because yeah byron. he forced like oh you have yeah. to bring your children exactly um so around the same time claire was trying to get her daughter back from byron but byron like sent her to a convent and the daughter to a convent yeah she's a baby she was like she lived at the convent for 
the rest of her life, which is not very long. What? Um, it's not very long what? life. <laughs> these these women have really bad luck with their kids. I don't know why. Well, that's not just bad luck. That is somebody taking your baby and sending yeah. it away. Well, she didn't want. Just... She didn't think she could raise Allegra on her own. That's why Claire took her to per, to Byron because Byron's rich. Mm-hmm. He's a lord, but like he didn't want to mm-hmm. be a father. But um, he could just give her the money to rate like child support. I know, I know. There's a lot of things that could have been better. And okay, are you ready for the next and probably the next like most dramatic thing of the story Mm -hmm. so february 1819 a girl Mm -hmm. named elena adelaide is born in naples and the parents are written as percy and marina padurin which people think is like a italian misspelling of mary godwin which sounds really different (laughs) but very but there's literally so many theories about this baby girl so the servants Mm -hmm. who are living with um, Percy and Mary and Claire at the time they claim that Claire was the mother and I feel like they lived with them so they're probably like a pretty good source mm-hmm. um, and like journals from the time say that Claire had quote unquote taken ill at the time that Elena was born so like maybe she was journals ill journals as just, in like... like diaries yeah diaries mm-hmm. yeah so like maybe she was just like they were trying to cover it up other people mm-hmm. think that she was Elena was adopted to replace baby Clara, who had died. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like, just regardless, though, like, something is awry because they left Naples the next day after they signed the papers for this baby. So I don't know why they were like, you have to leave with a newborn, like, Uh super weird. So then, all right, later this year, 1819, their son William died of malaria. And... That was, How like, did really you get sad. malaria? I don't even know. It was in Rome. Like, why do they have malaria mm-hmm. in Rome? But mm-hmm. back then, I don't know how things worked. Mosquitoes, whatever. And then throughout the summer, Mary was working on her novel, Matilda, that we talked about earlier. And then in October of the same year, um, they moved to Florence and then had a baby named Percy Florence. I guess they named him after Percy and Florence. <laughs> <laughs> so now in 1820, there's some rumors about Claire and Percy having this baby and not it, like it not being like Percy and Mary's. And that mm-hmm. actually cost them a friendship with this couple, the Hopners. So that was unfortunate. People actually took it seriously. Um, mm-hmm. but it didn't really matter because in June, Elena died, the baby. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah, like many other like theories exist that Claire and Percy then became lovers because Mary was obviously super depressed in the last like two years, like four of her children have died. Yeah. That is a whole lot. Yeah. And she also kind of blamed, um, Percy for, Clara's death because like he was the one who was like oh like Byron wants us to bring the kids you have to take them really quickly to Este and then Mm -hmm. like she did that and then that's the trip that caused Clara to die which is like a weird thing to blame him for but she blamed him for that I mean blame I would blame Lord Byron for sure yeah but I do feel like they do move around quite a bit with or babies, like, yeah, yeah like literal babies. Like, yeah, they left like the day after they signed the papers for that one baby, and like 
I just feel like traveling back then would be like mm-hmm. really like kind of like dangerous anyways. Yeah. And, and this especially is why, with like, all these kids. Yeah. The like whole like free love and like free spirited thing like really doesn't work unless you have like birth control because like you can't just be like running around like sleeping with whoever you want and like moving from city to city being a poet when you're going to have five kids. Like, yeah, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah. That's why that went away until like the 60s again. <laughs> um, but yeah. So in 1822, um, Allegra, who is Claire's daughter, dies of typhus in the convent. And she accuses Byron of like being complicit in the child's murder because he sent her to that convent. Um, and then I feel like it's not murder. Like he's just complicit in the sense of like, yeah, he sent her away and yeah. she died there. But like, not murder is a big thing. Yeah, just saying. Um, and then in June, Mary suffered her fifth miscarriage. Oh my gosh. Mary, Mary, Mary. Yeah. And then now we get to like pretty much like the end of this dark period. Percy drowns to death in 1822. Adult Percy or the same Percy? Yeah, adult Percy. Okay. I am sorry about that, but I also feel kind of a little bit like good riddance. I don't know. It's really sad. Like she like she now feels more guilty because she had blamed him for the death of Clara for the past like two years. And then she's like really sad about her husband. who's the love of her life dying and mm-hmm. the only man she's ever loved. And yeah, it was really sad. So yeah, I feel, I do feel for her, but I just feel like she could be doing better. Yeah, for sure. But so after his death, she kind of, pulled like her dad's move and was like I'm gonna write like a biography about him um Mm -hmm. and publish his complete works but Percy's father didn't allow this because he was embarrassed that his son was an atheist and didn't want people to like know about it even though he was Mm -hmm. already famous so it's kind of dumb Mm -hmm. but yeah so she did end up keep publishing like his works like um like editions of his works throughout her life um as she published her own books as well Mm -hmm. and so now um uh, also, t- just quickly mention that Percy was on a boat with this other man and his wife, who's now a widow, like became friends with Mary and Claire. And they all stuck together for a little while after that summer because okay. they'd suffered similar tragedy, similar loss. Um, mm. But after this summer, Mary and Claire just didn't spend much time together. So Mary paid for Claire to move to Brian to Brianna <laughs> to move to Vienna. <laughs> with her brother Mm -hmm. Charles and then in 1823 Claire moved to Russia as a governess and now we're circling back to her early education so Claire spoke five languages like boarding school did her solid (laughs) so she moved around in Russia for like um, five years then back to England then to Dresden then to Paris and she lived back and forth between Paris um until like 1870 when she finally Mm. moved to Florence 1870 yeah she was 72 oh my gosh yeah I mean obviously a lot of stuff happened in this window but I'm just kind of Mm -hmm. fast forwarding (laughs) and then she died at the age of 81 years old so yeah then it was during this period living in Florence in her 70s when she wrote her memoir 
And this was a scathing reflection on free love and the like, it's just like the world that she lived in in her teens mm-hmm. and early 20s. Um, she was now like a devout Catholic. And she wrote that under the influence of the doctrine and belief of free love, I saw the first two poets of England become monsters. The worshipers of free love (laughs) not only preyed upon one another, but also upon themselves, turning their existence into a perfect hell. So, And she's talking about Byron and Percy? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so she felt that, quote, religion and morality of truth demanded that she describe the misconduct of the two great poets. So, yeah. She I mean, like, to, be, to be fair, like, she didn't have, like, the easiest time of things. No, not at all. I'm really glad that she did this. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. everyone was just like, oh, little Claire, who's just like the little, like, pet of Shelley and of the Shelleys. Mm-hmm. Like, now she's, like, coming out and being like, these people, like, encouraged like basically tore apart her and like her her and her sister stayed friends but like by like byron abandoned her baby obviously was kind mm-hmm. of like implicated in the death of her niece clara and like percy kind of was like dating claire sometimes with his wife yeah. in the same house like they did really they were like damaging yeah they de- i think like they definitely like did her dirty but like it's not, ne- I think that she doesn't put enough blame on them. She puts more blame on like the free love. And it's like, mm. it's not like the concept of free love. It's like yeah. the people who you were, you know, living with and stuff. For sure. She does have one line that I really like about Byron. She calls him, quote, a human tiger slaking his thirst for inflicting pain upon defenseless women. So, and at least by, like, outliving literally everyone, she Mm -hmm. got the final word. (laughs) So, she wrote her memoir and got to say what needed to be said. Yeah, she got the last word. Yeah. And then, in terms of Mary, so, Mary published many books throughout her lifetime. Way too many to list here. It would be boring and long. Um, But she also formed several under... She also formed several other sisterhoods. So in 1827, she became friends with Isabel, Julia, and Rosa Robinson. And she stayed good friends with Jane Williams, who was the widow that was widowed from the same Mm -hmm. wreck as um, Percy. And Jane Williams, plot twist, remarried to Thomas Hogg, who's Mary's ex-almost lover, who like Percy in the beginning of their Mm -hmm. marriage tried to push them on each other. And she Uh became the godmother to their daughter in 1836. So she and Thomas ended up being okay. Um, Mary Shelley became the godmother mm -hmm. to Thomas and Jane's kid. Uh Yeah. Okay. Um, So the same year William Godwin died in 1836. That's her father. Mm -hmm. And in his will, he asked Mary to publish any decent manuscripts he had and give the profits to his wife, and then just burn the rest, which is just, like, such a classic writer move. They're always burning <laughs> stuff. I'm like, we need that. Like, <laughs> we're like, oh, whatever. And then in 1841, Mary's stepmother, who's obviously Claire's mother, she dies. And then um, by now, Mary's son, Percy Florence, 
is their only surviving child. Okay, I forgot he was even still alive. Yeah, so he went on to graduate from Cambridge. And for, yeah, so that was great. He, like, survived, and he inherited the, like, baroncy or whatever when you're, like, a baron, I guess. So, like, he was a baron, though. Like, Percy's family. He, like, gets a lot of money. I think he ended up getting, Uh like, at the most, like, 400 pounds a year or something. Um, At the most Mm -hmm. during Mary's lifetime. But his Mm -hmm. allowance increased, like, um, periodically. So that was nice. Nice. Yeah. And then for the last 10 years of her life, unfortunately, Mary was frequently ill. And she ultimately died on February 1st, 1851. So she was, like, in her 60s. Or late 50s, I guess. Yeah. So just to wrap up, I feel like there's just so many different sides to Mary and Claire's relationship. They were like sisters by marriage, you know, stepsisters. They're friends and constant companions and like roommates in their late Mm -hmm. teens and early 20s. They were also competitors for the same man's affections. And they potentially kind of shared a daughter if Elena was actually Claire's child by blood, but then Mary's child by law. So that's like an interesting mm-hmm. relationship. And they were with each other for countless losses and hardships and adventures throughout the continent. And yet, like, not very much is known about their actual relationship. Like, I tried to search, like, Mary Shelley and Claire Claremont, and there's just not a mm-hmm. lot of, like, scholarship out there about them. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like, from what I read, at least, that Claire is, like, often defined by the people around her, especially Byron and Mary Shelley. Mm-hmm. And Mary is defined by her own work, which is great, obviously, and her parents, who are super famous, and her husband. But they don't really, like, come together. Any, like, there's not much talk about, like, their own relationship with one another, which must have been, like, really intense. Yeah. Because they're the exact I mean, age and everything. Yeah, and I feel like when, I mean, I guess it's different, like, back then, but nowadays, like, if you were, like, married and starting your family and you still had your sister living with you, Mm -hmm. like, that would be kind of, like, odd, so you would think that they'd have to have, like, some very close relationship. Yeah. And then also, like, if you think that your husband is, like, cheating on you with your sister, but then you still, like, stay. Yeah. Yeah, and stay, like having a close relationship with her mm-hmm. um yeah and so. mary like supported her financially like she's the reason she was uh-huh. able to move to russia ultimately mm-hmm. and yeah i think i do want to know a lot more about their actual relationship aside from just the facts of like experiences they had together i want to know like mm-hmm. were they like what were they like <laughs> um mm-hmm. and yeah so and I think, like, even in their own lives, like, people kind of just define them by the people around them. Like, I said, like, Percy kind of sought out Mary be- or, like, liked Mary because of who her parents were. Mm-hmm. Byron probably wouldn't even have Claire on his radar if it weren't for the Shelleys. So yeah. their lives were kind of just, like, defined by the people around them. And, like, I also just wonder, like, why Claire is less remembered because she also did write, like, a lot of journals, obviously, and a memoir. Um, but actually, interesting, super interesting note on the memoir is that it was thought to be lost until 2010. That Ooh. was like, yeah, it was discovered by a grad student in the New York Public Library, which is so weird. I'm like, if it was in the library, yeah. like, <laughs> but I think like no one just like, they thought it was like, they knew it existed, but they thought it had been lost, but like, it was just there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I but do it was wonder... actually just right there is those two. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but and also that was the only copy or what? I don't know if she like had it published or she just wrote it for herself. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, but yeah, so I do wonder like if it's the fact that she wasn't as good of a writer that she was less remembered, um, or just the fact that like she lived like a really full life outside of this like really brief intense glamour of the romantic era like she was like a pretty normal person for the Mm -hmm. vast majority of her life Mm -hmm. and like but yeah I think like I do I'm hopeful that there's a lot more scholarship about her to come because of the recent discovery of her memoir and yeah I think that like there's a lot more like to be said about her so I'm excited for that well I think it's kind of like kind of similar to what we said about um Annie Turnbull Malone about you know how she mm-hmm. ended up living like this long life and then is mm-hmm. less famous than the other her counterpart who you know had this like really burst of excitement life and then died younger um there's kind of that but then also I feel like it does make sense like because Frankenstein I haven't read it but like loads of people have read that book mm-hmm. and still read it and like it's made into movies and that kind of stuff whereas none of Claire's things as far as yeah. I know like have that kind of like long-lasting appeal um, yeah no not at all I think she must have not been as good of a writer because otherwise like she had pretty much all of the tools like mm-hmm. and all of the resources but I mean there's also like I said like the early education thing it makes such a huge difference like having a more conventional experience versus having someone who's like exposed to so much like great literature and like great minds, like from a really young age, Mm -hmm. like that might've made a bigger difference in like how she wrote. Um, But yeah, that's Mary and Claire. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of like Mary, she had this really like dramatic and exciting and tragedy filled life you know even from when she first was born her mother died soon Mm -hmm. afterwards and then you know this kind of especially in like the motherhood way this kind of death kind of followed her like with all her miscarriages and children and she already probably had a bit of like a flair for the dramatic anyways um but then you can I feel like you can see why then she'd be like interested in this concept of like bringing um something dead back to life because yeah this it's kind a big, of like yeah yeah has been connection. a theme in her life mm-hmm. um and, and just then, like the failure of like cre- the failures of creation yeah because like yeah because she's been she not feels this way but she is kind of been failed by like her husband you know having mm-hmm. all of these affairs and not giving her the life that she wanted of like you know having being able to have that stability that she didn't have because her mother died and her dad was, although he was like, um, you know, gave her a lot of great education and that kind of stuff. Her childhood was very like unconventional um, Mm -hmm. and maybe lacked a bit of the structure that, um, yeah, gave her great experiences, but children, you know, they still need Mm -hmm. structure and stuff. Um, Yeah. And, like, you see your sister going off to boarding school to, like, learn French. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're just, like, sitting at home, like, listening to these old men talk about books. So you're, like, yeah, it might not have been as, like, great in the moment <laughs> as it was for her ultimate, like, experience as a writer. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then she kind of, 
you know, keeps publishing and then dies, um, you know, again, a kind of like a tragic death, like, you know, only having one surviving child, her husband died in like this accident, even though he was her one true love and all this kind of stuff. So she has this kind of like go big or go home kind of life, whether that's what she wanted or not. And Mm -hmm. Claire, um, although her background definitely is like having a flair for the dramatic with her Mm -hmm. mom and all of the like lies and stuff that she told and making up her background, um, she kind of has this like really like normal life, but is just like surrounded by craziness. Um, And so when she gets the chance, she kind of like leaves all that behind and goes off to live the complete opposite life of what her sister is doing. Um, and yeah, her sister, the her sister's like need for this, like, you know, kind of drama and tragedy and excitement, I feel like pulls Claire in because she. Mm-hmm you know, it's her sister and they grew up together and they do have this close bond, but it might not necessarily be what she wants for her own life. And it takes her a little while to be able to like grow up and be like, okay, actually I'm going to go and I'm going to live out the rest of my life, like actually really quiet and happy. And maybe that doesn't get me remembered, but Mm -hmm. at least I get to live the life that I want to. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she experienced the like, free love poet society kind of thing and like Mm -hmm. she didn't she clearly didn't like it and she like yeah yeah I think it's good she got out of that because even though like Mary wasn't as immersed in that she was still in the she was still a writer and she was still in these literary circles for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. and those are the people she associated with so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah cool well that was a great story um I had only known Mary Shelley's name really I didn't know anything about her mm-hmm. and hadn't even heard of Claire Claremont before um but yeah it makes me want to keep a diary just in case I know right I'm like <laughs> oh like what dramatic things are happening that you're <laughs> yeah. to me um yeah yeah thank you guys for listening um if you have any feedback about the episode like Marva said at the beginning we'd love to hear in the comments on the show or in a dm on our instagram any way you want to get in touch with us we'd love to hear from you so yeah yeah and tell us also what you think about claire and mary um about their relationship about their lives um because yeah we find them super fascinating so we'd love to know what your opinions are yes and there's actually on our website if you go to the join the sisterhood page you can learn about the Sisterhood, which is a group of people who discuss the topics from our episodes. And if you want to join that, you can just learn more about that on our website, sisteryuntold.com. Cool. Well, great job, Sabrina. And, uh, oh, yeah, it's time. It's time. Okay. Ready? Yeah. This, this is, is Sistery. sistery. <laughs> I tried to wait for you. I know, but then you said this. Yeah, because you weren't saying it yet. Sister. Sister. Okay. Okay.